they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of live, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know, all, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me, the word of the Lord. So we're coming uh, this morning, we're going to come to the end of our journey through the Gospel of John. When did you start? You've been doing this for a while, right? When did it start? Nobody can remember. It was that long ago. But we've been walking through the Gospel of John, and we're coming to the end of that series today. And you can almost divide the Gospel of John into four parts. You're going to get a prologue, the Logos prologue. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you get a second part, which is the Book of Signs. The Book of Signs, where Jesus does certain miracles, and John calls them signs because they're pointing to the nature of Christ and what he's doing. And then the third part is the Book of Glory, which is really leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. And now we're going to look at the epilogue. That's the little bit at the end of the story. You know what it's like? It's like in the Lord of the Rings, yes? They've got to Mount Doom, they put the ring in, the story is over, but we still have some questions left. What's going to happen to Frodo? What's going to happen to Samwise? So you get this little epilogue, and that's exactly what you get, more or less, at the end of John's Gospel. You get an epilogue. What is going to happen to the disciples in the light of the resurrection? And in particular, there's one disciple that we're very interested in, Peter. And we're interested in Peter, Mr. Foot in Mouth, because while Peter is no Judas, God forbid that any of us would be a Judas, he's not literally the worst human being in the world, but last time we saw Peter, he was busy denying Jesus. Do you remember? At the crucial moment when Jesus was arrested and tried, 
Peter denied that he even knew the man. And we know that Peter was deeply ashamed. Because in that moment, as Jesus turns to him, as he's denied him for the third time, the Lord turns and looks at Peter, and Peter remembers that Jesus had said to him, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows today, uh, today, you will deny me three times. And Peter, it's recorded, went out and he wept bitterly. And that's the last time we see Peter until this moment when Jesus re-encounters him on the beach. They haven't seen each other. And I want to do three things this morning. We're going to look at that little, little part of the scripture we read, just that part. Because it's an extraordinary, brilliant little dialogue between the risen Christ and Peter. And I want to see three things in that part. That first of all, Jesus does not ignore Peter's shame. Peter brings it into the light. But even as he's confronting Peter in his shame, at the moment when Peter might have felt most excluded from his community, Jesus reaffirms their relationship and embraces him. And then in that moment of reaffirmation, Jesus is re- uh, Peter rather is released back into the purposes of God. And I want to ask that because I think shame is a powerful, powerful dynamic in any culture at any time, but in our culture now as much as at any other time. And the question I want to look at this morning is, have we begun to exclude ourselves from the purposes of God? Because we're carrying some sense of shame. Because the power of shame is that it excludes us. We either exclude ourselves or we are excluded. And Jesus this morning, as is every morning, wants to bring that into the light, reaffirming your relationship to him so that you can be reoriented to the purposes of God. Shall we pray and then we'll have a look at this passage together. So this morning, as we look at this kind of rewiring of Peter's life, Father, by your Spirit, I pray you would give us the courage to bring to you, even as we listen, the things that are deepest in our own hearts. This morning, Father, by your Spirit, you would bring to mind what we really think and what we really feel and what we really believe, so that you can do your work in us to release us into your purposes and the fullness of life. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So you, you've got to love Peter, right? You've got to love Peter. He's like that kid in class, you know, when the teacher's asking a question, he goes, ooh, ooh me, 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 me. Uh, uh, what's the question? <laughs> He's not so much ready, aim, fire. He's ready, fire. What are we aiming at? He's emotional, he's impulsive, but he's also courageous and loyal. He's first to stick his head above the parapet. He's among the first of the disciples to follow Jesus. He's called, the first calling of the first disciples, Peter is right there. He's the first one to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. You remember that? You are the Christ. He was invited up the mountain with James and John in the transfiguration. Peter is there. He's always there, he's always first, but he's also the first to make some really big mistakes. So he was the one who drew a sword and cuts off the ear 
of a servant of the high priest when Jesus was being arrested. That's Peter. He grabs his sword and he goes for it. And he's also the one who has a tendency to make great claims. Is there anybody in this room has a tendency to make great claims that they wish they hadn't said? Hello? No? I do. <laughs> like, for instance, the great claim that Peter makes that he, among all the disciples, would never abandon Jesus. This is at the Passover supper. Jesus said to the disciples, you will all fall away from me because of this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, Jesus gone, I will go before you to Galilee, which is where this little scene takes place. And Peter says, no, not me. Though they, you lot, the other disciples will all fall away. I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Oops. Listen, Peter's no Judas. He's not the worst person in the world. I'm not the worst person in the world. You're not the worst people in the world. But actually, of course, we know that famously, Peter does deny Jesus. And that little incident is recorded in history for eternity. How would you feel if your greatest mistake was written in a book and to be read for the rest of eternity? Oops. And we don't know why Peter collapsed. Was he frightened? There was real reason to be feared. Life, his life was being threatened. Was he suddenly disappointed that Jesus, the Jesus he thought was going to be the kind of Messiah to throw out the hated Romans, that suddenly it didn't seem that way and he was deeply disappointed? Possible. We don't know. But we do know that Peter was ashamed. Because here's what we read this morning. We just read that the resurrected Jesus has appeared on the beach the disciples are off fishing, but there's no fish. Jesus tells them to fish on the other side of the boat, and there's a great catch. And it's a kind of reminder of the disciples calling to mission, because there's another scene like that way right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So then they go and have breakfast on the beach. Imagine that, having breakfast on the beach with the risen Christ. I mean, what was that like? And then when they finished breakfast, we read this. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this is interesting. Peter was grieved. In other translations, he says, Peter was hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Why is Peter hurt? Why do you think? Is it because Jesus is sort of casting doubt by saying three times, asking the same question again and again? No, I want to suggest to you that something very intentional and deliberate is going on here. He's reminding Peter of his boast in the upper room. That all the other disciples would deny him, but he wouldn't. 
He's reminding Peter in that little phrase, do you love me more than these? What, more than the fish? More than he loves the other disciples? No, he's saying, Peter, do you really love me more than these other disciples love me? You said you did. But look what happened. And it gets worse for Peter because the entire structure of these questions, these threefold questions, reminds Peter of his threefold denial of Jesus. Do you love me? And so Peter's reaction is telling. Peter was grieved because he suddenly sees and he suddenly understands what Jesus is doing. He's pointing straight at Peter's shame, not avoiding it, but bringing it into the light. And social psychologists will tell us that feeling of offense. Have you ever come across people who feel offended in church? A little few nervous giggles. We all get offended in church, right? Anyway, but that feeling of offense belongs to the so-called self-conscious emotions like shame and guilt. We often feel that because actually something is being pointed to, touched on. And Peter lives in this culture of honor and shame, those ancient cultures that we read about in the Bible. To understand them deeply, you've got to understand that they are honor-shame cultures. The worst thing that could happen is that you would shame your family, that you would do something that would cause shame to other people, or that you would be the source of shame yourself. Now, we're not like that, are we? This is Brenny Brown of TED Talk fame. She says this about shame. Shame is the most powerful master emotion. Just take that in for a moment. Shame is the most powerful master emotion. In other words, it controls and dominates other emotions. And simply put, she says, it's the fear that we're not good enough. Do you know, I want you to know that every time I speak in front of you, I have to wrestle with that fear of, I'm not good enough. Do you know that? I don't know whether Johnny wrestles with that. I do. Every single time. It is such a common human emotion. And you may say, well, we're not a shame on a culture. Oh, yes, we are. I would say that social media has released a monster of shame in our culture. We call it cancel culture. Who are we going to cancel, Amber Heard or Johnny Depp? Which one? Make your choice. You can't have both. You've got to shame one, not the other, right? And psychologists will tell us the experience of shame, that thing of shame, recruits the same brain circuits that prompt people to hide from physical danger. That instinct you have to hide yourself when you're threatened physically, shame does the same thing to you. Shame isn't associated with cognition. It's not rational. At the precise moment shame is triggered, we are emotionally hijacked, and there's no prefrontal activities like a teenager. No prefrontal activity at all. (laughs) Sorry, guys. That's the logic of shame. It excludes. We hide. We bury. 
And the thing is that Jesus, the healer, is not going to leave Peter in his shame, right? He's not going to do that. We can't have Peter hiding. Not Peter. Not Peter, the one, the rock on whom the church is going to be founded. He can't carry this shame. So these three statements bring Peter to face his shame, bring it into the light, but not to increase his shame. In fact, it's a moment of inclusion. Jesus is embracing Jesus, uh, Peter, in his very moment of shame. Because you can't miss that this is actually a conversation about love. Three times Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And in the repetition, there's a kind of reinforcement. Jesus doesn't need to know whether Peter loves him or not. Who needs to know? Peter. You know, for many years, I struggled with depression. It started about the age 10, 11, 12, very early in my life. And right through all my teenage years, you know, it completely colored my entire life. And it went on right through my middle 20s up to 30. Not a clinically depressed person, emotional reactive, for those who know, it was more reactive depression. But I don't know, you know, to try and describe why it started or how it started is complex. But I can tell you that in that depression, shame crept in. Shame and that feeling that I'm simply not good enough. And I know that we are living through, right now, as a culture, a crisis for teenagers of anxiety, depression. And you can bet that whether it was caused by shame or whether it started for some other reason, shame has crept in there. And you start to get these feelings of, I simply am not good enough. And when I was struggling with that, the one thing that I needed was not to be told I'm okay, because I wasn't okay. The one thing that I really needed was to be embraced and told, you're part of us. You're just a human being. You're one of us. You're with us. Because it's only in that context that healing can come. The embrace needs to come first. So Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And in the Greek, the word that Jesus uses, do you agapes me? And that word agape is the kind of highest form of love. Do you love me, Peter, with that kind of unconditional love that is like God's love? But Peter doesn't say, I agape you. He says, I feeles you. I love you at the level of friendship. So Jesus asks again, do you agape me? Do you love me at the highest possible level? And again, Peter says, no. He doesn't say no, but he says, I, I feeles you. I can at least feeles you. I can love you at the level of friendship. And so then the third time, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He says, now, Peter, do you feel as me? Jesus comes down to the level of love that Peter is capable of. And if you know nothing else about the gospel, you should know that. That the story of the gospel is of a God who comes down. We sang it this morning. 
He comes down to people who in their shame, however it crept in there, may not know what it feels like to love with this kind of oozing agape kind love. They may not know how to do that. But the important thing is that God comes to us and embraces us not when we are healed, not when we've put things right, not when we've got over our shame. He embraces us first and then the healing starts to come. That is the logic of the cross. And how often do we have in our own heads, whether we got it from the church or from the world, is you sort yourself out first and then you can become part of life. Isn't that true? You sort yourself out and then you can be part of the church. You sort yourself out and then God can use you. But it's the other way around. It's the other way around. That on the cross, Jesus' embrace for us comes first. And so we as a church should embrace all sorts of people in all sorts of conditions. We embrace first, and then the healing can come. I love this quote from Miroslav Volf, who wrote a, a complex and difficult book to read called Exclusion and Embrace, but it's all about this, all about this dynamic of exclusion and embrace. And he said this, forgiveness flounders. That thing of forgiveness is central to the whole Christian message because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans and myself from the community of sinners. Do you see what's going on there? It's like, oh, they're too bad. They can't come in. They're too messed up. They can't be part. Or I'm so good that I must be part. And both are mistakes. But no one can be in the presence of the God of the crucified Messiah for long without overcoming this double exclusion. Without transposing the enemy from the sphere of the monstrous into the sphere of shared humanity and herself or himself from the sphere of the proud innocence into the sphere of common sinfulness. And Paul put it perhaps more simply, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to stop. The embrace comes first. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing with Peter. He's embracing him. And then the healing comes. And what comes as the fruit of that healing? Peter is released back into the purposes of God, the fullness of who he is made to be in Christ. Someone who Jesus said to be a shepherd of God's people. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. That's what you're supposed to do, Peter. That's your life. And in the threefold repetition, you get again a subtle development Pasture the lambs, the little one. Tend the sheep, oversee the older ones. And then finally, Jesus combines those words, the words in the Greek, and he literally says, pastor, tend my sheep. Pastor, tend them. That's what you were created to do. But I think the really important thing for us to see here this morning is that Peter is being restored into the purposes of God. This is Peter who Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, that's Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, that you're the Christ, I am the Christ, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you, Peter, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. 
and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. Can Peter do that if he's carrying this deep sense of shame? So this morning, I want us just to, to hold that really carefully. Because I think there are many people who exclude themselves quietly from the purposes of God because they're carrying some sense of shame. I mean, you're not the worst people in the world. You're not. I'm not the worst person in the world. I'm not. But a little bit of self-reflection quickly points out that I'm certainly not the best person in the world either. I've let people down. People have let me down. I haven't lived up to the expectations of myself, let alone known the other people in, in, that I know me. I'm quickly back to that dynamic of shame. And the danger is that when shame creeps in, quietly, quietly, we write ourselves out of the story of God. We all do it. We say, oh, there are better people to do that, to do that thing that I once thought I might do. But God needs you. That's his plan. We are the church. That's you and me. And we, you know, we are plan A. There is no plan B. And Jesus does not want us to stay in the place of shame. So every week we celebrate communion. And in that communion there is always the opportunity to bring ourselves as we are to God. To bring whatever it is that's in our hearts into the light. Because Jesus is not waiting for us to do that. He's embraced us at the cross. That's why we, we remember what he's done on the cross. And in that embrace, when we accept it, that healing can come. And as we are healed, we can be released back into the purposes of God. So that's what we're going to do now. And I just wanted to leave a, a moment before we do that for you to pray. You might want to close your eyes. Just take a moment so that you're not aware of people around you. You're not worried about what other people are doing. And just as Jesus, when he was talking to Peter on the beach, he did it in a way that brought to light what was really in Peter's heart. Would you let Jesus do that for you now? And we do that knowing that we haven't been excluded. That Jesus' embrace of us comes first. That whatever sense of exclusion or being written out of the story we're carrying this morning, that's not what Jesus sees in us. Just as Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? And he was reinforcing this idea that the thing is, you are part of the divine love. You are part of the blessed community. You belong. And because of that, you have a part to play. And Jesus does not want you to exclude yourself or be excluded because of any sense of shame. So the band is going to play a song now.
But as you come to take communion, I would just encourage you, whatever pops up into your mind as we were praying, just bring that. And it's a symbolic act, if you will. As you take communion, you're giving that away. You're just giving that away and saying, I don't want to hold this anymore. So now I give it over to you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.